Hey everyone, this is Walking Through Fire and I am Brian Hoops. Today we are going to look into the story of Robert Bob Garwood, one of the longest held American POWs during the Vietnam War. His story is complicated as it calls into question the U.S. military's code of conduct, which is the policy that dictates how U.S. service members should act if they are captured by enemy forces during wartime. Garwood's story is unique in that he was captured in 1965, but not released until 1979. And for many of you who may or may not know, the war in Vietnam ended in 1973. The reason why Garwood's story turns so complicated is because a lot of American POWs that were held in Vietnam at the time had attested that they witnessed Garwood working with the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong, and some have speculated that he had crossed over to the enemy side. The other interesting aspect of Garwood's case is that it was one of the first times that the conspiracy theory that the U.S. had left American POWs behind in Vietnam really arose. And this conspiracy theory was necessary to fuel the plot lines of such cinematic masterpieces such as Rambo 2. But there's basically two ways in which this story can be presented. On one side, some would say that Garwood was merely adapting survival techniques to get through the grueling reality of being an American POW under Viet Cong and North Vietnamese army control. And on the side of the against... Garwood kind of showed that he was actively participating with the NVA through communist indoctrination classes to American POWs and going as far as to going out on NVA and VC patrols and actively fighting against Americans. Garwood's story also calls into question the credibility of enforcing the U.S. military code of conduct. For those who might not know, the Code of Conduct is basically a set of rules and regulations for U.S. military members on how they basically should act if they are captured by enemy forces. I'll go further into the Code of Conduct and the story behind Robert Garwood and what I think happened based on reporting and interviews of him and POWs said to have interacted with him. The Code of Conduct was instituted in 1955 after the Korean War. The reasoning behind the Code of Conduct is to give GIs guidance on how to act when captured by the enemy. This was established because during the Korean War, American POWs were treated harshly, subjected to torture by Chinese and Korean forces, as well as brainwashing experiments. The Code of Conduct is inherently flawed because there is no way to ensure that any GI on any level, no matter their rank, can strongly adhere to the standards that are put forth. Let's highlight some of the tenets of the Code of Conduct before going further down the line. Number one, I am an American, fighting in the forces which guard my country and our way of life. I am prepared to give my life in their defense. I'll skip ahead. Number three. If I am captured, I will continue to resist by all means available. I will make every effort to escape and aid others to escape. I will accept neither parole nor special favors from the enemy. Number four, if I become a prisoner of war, I will keep faith with my fellow prisoners. 
I will give no information or take part in any action which might be harmful to my comrades. If I am a senior, I will take command. If not, I will obey the lawful orders of those appointed over me and will back them up in every way. And lastly, number six, I will never forget that I am an American fighting for freedom, responsible for my actions, and dedicated to the principles which made my country free. I will trust in my God and in the United States of America. So I bring these up because after Garwood returned to the United States in 1979, he was put on trial through court-martial regarding his captured status. And I, I bring up the codes of conduct because Article 3, specifically at the end, says, I will accept neither parole nor special favors from the enemy. But as I go ahead and explain the story a little bit further, you'll kind of see the hypocrisy within that. But again, let's just remember there's two sides to every story. So with that being said, we can kind of discuss the early life of Bob Garwood, which admittedly I couldn't find too much about. He was born in Greenville, Indiana on April 1st, 1946. There's not too much known about his early childhood. I know that his mother uh, left when he was young and uh, his dad basically raised him. He was a bit of a delinquent. Uh, ended up in juvenile detention a few different times. He was described as being very intelligent, or at least like above average intelligence. One of the times, or one of his last times when he was locked up in juvenile detention, he was approached by a Marine Corps recruiter, and that led him down the path to joining the Marine Corps and eventually ending up in Vietnam. So after his time in Okinawa, Garwood would eventually be deployed as a motor pool driver for a headquarters and services company in Da Nang in South Vietnam in 1965. His time in Vietnam was uneventful. He spent his tour behind a desk and pretty much just acted as a chauffeur for staff officers. In September of 65, Garwood was approaching the final few weeks of his obligatory 365-day Vietnam deployment. The exact circumstances of Garwood's capture are somewhat of a mystery to this day. First-hand accounts of Marines that were with Garwood that day stated that he left the base to pick up his laundry. Others say that he was tasked to pick up an officer from briefing a base that was close by. With what I could find, we'll go off what Garwood reported as the circumstances of him missing. So Garwood was out to pick up an officer that was at a briefing at a close by base. While off post, he drove his jeep into the backwoods of some and got ended up in some Vietnamese village. Pulled his jeep off to the side of the road to try to get a bearing on where he exactly was. He was then approached by an elderly Vietnamese man who was getting in his shit and pointing to Garwood's holstered Colt 45. Garwood kind of pushed and shooed the man away. The old man sort of motioned Garwood to a tree line by the side of the road where the Jeep was parked. And from the tree line emerged about eight to 10 Vietnamese teenagers, as Garwood described them. They were all armed with bolt action World War II, World War I era rifles that were rusted and worn down. 
the Vietnam War was still in its infancy, and the South Vietnamese Army, or ARVN, the Army of the Republic of Vietnam, that was allied with the U.S., was not exactly established, so Garwood did not look at these guys as a potential threat. The group approached Garwood, and one of them began shouting and started to raise his antiquated rifle at Garwood. Garwood realized that he was face-to-face with the Viet Cong, so he took out his 45 and shot one of them in the face. Garwood's jeep acted as a buffer between himself and the approaching VC. After shooting one of them in the face, another member of the group managed to get a shot off at Garwood, hitting him in the right forearm. Garwood dove to the ground. He was scared, lost, and alone. The VC that he encountered did not give him a chance to surrender. Rather, they stripped him to his boxers, tied his arms behind his back, and also tied his like elbows together as like sort of like a torture technique. He was then marched from village to village for days, paraded in front of the Vietnamese that taunted him and poked at his balls and his ass with sticks. And they they made great emphasis in one of the books that I had read uh, about Garwood's uh, entire story. Uh, depending on your point of view, this can either be seen as torture or something one looks up on kink.com or the hub. Garwood would eventually be held at Camp Q in northern Vietnam. And this like area that he was held at was like sort of on the border of like northern slash southern Vietnam. In December of 65, Marines at the Da Nang Fire Base found a flyer hung up on the outside of their camp. The flyer was titled, quote, Fellow Soldiers Appeal, and was dated to mid-October shortly after Garwood's capture. The flyer was written in a style that indicated the speaker could not fluently speak English, but the signature at the bottom read B. Garwood. The flyer was one of many propaganda tools that NV would use to demoralize American forces. About a week after Garwood arrived at his initial POW camp, an army captain named William Ike Eisenbrown of Mac V. Sog fame was captured after his outpost was overrun by the Viet Cong. Eisenbrown had special forces training and could fluently speak Vietnamese. He took Garwood under his wing and taught him Vietnamese and other survival tactics. The two were grouped with some other American POWs. Eisenbrown ended up dying after being beaten to death by the VC for attempting to escape, which left Garwood essentially to his own devices. This comes up as one of the main debate points of this story. Remember, is did Garwood proactively cooperate with the Viet Cong, or was this a guy caught in a shitty situation that was just trying to survive as best he could? If you are unsure of conditions of Viet Cong POW camps, they were hellish on all levels. A good number of POWs during Vietnam were commissioned officers, mostly downed pilots and flight crews that were held in the infamous Hanoi Hilton. Typically commissioned officers that are captured, they are treated a lot better than lower enlisted. But when you hear stories about guys like the late John McCain, it's safe to say that the NVA said, quote, the only rule for treating POWs is fuck all the rules. Your average run-of-the-mill field troops, though, would live in more of deer hunter-like scenarios. They would be forced to live in bamboo cages that were usually not big enough 
for the soldier to fully stand up and were typically somewhat submerged in shallow water. Garwood was a pretty smart guy. He was able to pick up Vietnamese in a fairly short amount of time, which some have attributed to certain survival instincts. This is where the story becomes a little convoluted and hard to tell. I'm not going to go over every sighting of Garwood during the remainder of his time in captivity, but more discuss a few of the high-level ones from American uh, POWs as well as American line troops that were not captured at the time. The reason is that I'm not going to go over every instance is because there's like hundreds of Arvin officers that supposedly brush shoulders with Garwood and a lot of them are not that pinnacle. So early in 1967 Garwood has been in captivity for about two years in a camp in the a with the uh, aforementioned Captain Eisenbrown and about six other American POWs. Uh, Eisenbrown dies and the remaining Americans are separated, sent to different camps, and essentially are left to their own devices for survival. As I mentioned, Garwood had uh, picked up Vietnamese on a decent level, which gave him a leg up on his fellow POWs, and it is said that the NBA started asking Garwood to perform odd jobs around the camp, like fixing uh, wiring on radios, as well as like repairing small generators. This, over time, made Garwood a trustee of sorts of his fellow American POWs and afforded him certain privileges. The first American POW account of Garwood cooperating with the enemy occurred in January of 1968. Jose Ortiz Rivera and Jose Santos were released from POW captivity, which in researching this I found out happened often because some of the POW camps weren't really formal camps, but small areas set up in villages and a lot of VC units just didn't have the supply line or general logistics to maintain prisoners. Rivera and Santos reported they encountered Garwood in May 1967. They noticed him walking around freely around the POW camp, and when he introduced himself, he went by the name Win Shine Dao and was carrying a rifle and also reportedly accepted a commission into the Northern Vietnamese Army. And they also reported that Garwood was sleeping in the guards' quarters. This was at the 5th Viet Cong Regional Camp, which was located in southern Vietnam, but as I mentioned before, is closer to the northern Vietnamese border. Between 1967 to 69, there were various accounts of American patrols coming across propaganda, signs, letters, and flyers that were signed by, quote, Bobby Garwood, and carried the typical message of urging Americans to abandon the fight or turn on their officers. One article I read about Garwood by Jack Murphy gave a detailed account of an instance where a Marine Force recon patrol encountered Garwood in 1968. The story goes that the eight-man Marine recon squad had been patrolling the area Garwood was being held in to identify and destroy any VC activity. Patrols like this went on for weeks on end and the squad halted after a few days by a waterfall to refill their canteens and take a breather. 
Lance Corporal Perry Gordon and the rest of his squad were posted in woods by the stream that led into the waterfall. While Gordon was prepping to gear up to continue movement, he saw some random like white dude in the stream getting water. The unknown man Gordon saw was wearing the typical American olive drab green uniform, but the pants had, that he was wearing had been cut off into shorts, and he was wearing a red sash cloth that was slung across his chest. Gordon also noticed he had an AK-47 slung on his back. Baffled, Gordon continued to observe until he saw a Viet Cong in black pajamas, which was like the standard dress of the Viet Cong, emerge from behind a boulder to which the white man motioned to in a to to the Viet Cong in a friendly gesture. As the VC approached, Garwood and Gordon locked eyes, and Gordon grabbed his M16 and started popping shots off at the man he believed to be Garwood. The recon marine squad caught on to what was going on and started clapping at Garwood and the Viet Cong with M16 fire and hand grenades. At one point, the man believed to be Garwood yelled, help me, in an American accent and had fallen to the fallen into the stream and was not seen again. The Marines believed they encountered approximately 25 Viet Cong and noted the white American with them in their after action reporting where Murphy derives this uh, main article from which is titled uh, Marine Recon versus American Viet Cong. The story has some consistency with the after-action reporting because it was mentioned that the camp that Garwood was held at, other American BOWs had reported that Garwood went missing for about three weeks, like had left the camp and no one had seen him, and then he returned, and this is consistent with the reporting that the Marine Force Recon Patrol added in their uh, after-action report. In late November 1969, Army Sergeant Willie Watkins and two privates were released and debriefed on their time as POWs in VC camps. Where they were held is exactly not known, but they are believed to be in Quang Nam, which is a province that held the Camp Garwood was first sighted. In his debrief, Watkins stated that Garwood was at the camp that he was and that Garwood approached him and told him that he, Garwood, was traveling to North Vietnam to meet with college students that were associated with the Black Panther Party and other American college students associated with anti-Vietnam war groups. This detail about Garwood meeting American college students does have some legs to it, and keep this in your mind because the next episode that I do is going to tie into this. Watkins also noticed during his interaction with Garwood that he was wearing a Ho Chi Minh button on his shirt and carrying an AK-47. This was the last close contact interaction with Garwood. From 1970 to 1979, the whereabouts and activities of Garwood are sparse and based on hearsay and unconfirmed intelligent reports, so I won't go through all of them. One somewhat credible source was from a North Vietnamese lieutenant colonel who had been captured. 
He claimed to have spoken to an American around 1970 who said he defected to the North Vietnamese army and was hoping to be a full member of the Communist Party. This is sort of corroborated with an intelligence report from 1971 where an American military intelligence asset had claimed to spot an American at a North Vietnamese army cadre meeting, which cadre is basically acting as like the commissars or the political wing of military units that help make sure soldiers stay within the party lines. The American in this meeting had offered to teach North Vietnamese army officers to speak English and translate Vietnamese propaganda to English. So while all this was going on, there was an intermediate period where the Marine Corps was trying to change Garwood's status from captured to deserted. In 1973, the Vietnam War was ending. The U.S. launched Operation Homecoming. Henry Kissinger, who at the time acted as a national security advisor to President Nixon, negotiated a ceasefire with the Northern Vietnamese Army so American forces could exit Vietnam with ease. Operation Homecoming ended around April 1973, and this began a rather controversial period in this early post-Vietnam American military. Uh, part of Operation Homecoming was negotiating the release of all American POWs that were being held within Vietnam as well and returning them home. Overall, the Department of Defense and all U.S. military branches began looking into cases and claims of violations of the Uniform Code of Military Justice particular insubordination in front of the enemy. Initially, there were about 10 sailors that were accused of a range of violations, such as trying to sway captured POWs to stop fighting in the war and to help uh, North Vietnam create propaganda. Now, incidents like these were light compared to what was being said about Garwood. And for most of those accused of helping the Viet Cong, they were kind of written off as necessary mechanisms to survive while captured. The whereabouts of Garwood during this period from 1970 to about 1979 are very unclear. Saigon fell to the North Vietnamese Army in 1975 and the Socialist Republic of Vietnam was formally established which to no surprise kept record kept no records on potential left behind American POWs. By Garwood's account, towards the end of Vietnam, he claimed he was essentially forced to continue to work on menial jobs, such as repairing generators at former POW camps, which had been converted to, quote, re-education camps that housed ex-South Vietnamese government slash military personnel that collaborated with the United States. The last major interaction with Garwood with a Western, a person from you know, the Western world was in 1979 and was reported by a Mr. Ossie Rakonin, a Finnish national who had been working in the World Bank at the time. Uh, Rakonin was slipped a note by Garwood while at Hotel Hanoi. The note stated that Garwood was being held at a secret POW camp about 150 kilometers north of Hanoi 
and he was being held there with other U.S. prisoners of war, which Garwood later admitted to in the in in his book Conversations with the Enemy that he was lying and was just trying to gain attention. Raconan had the Swedish embassy in Hanoi alert the U.S. State Department, and news broke that there were still American POWs, or at least one, in Vietnam. The International Red Cross negotiated a deal for release, and in March of 1979, Garwood boarded a plane from Hanoi to Bangkok and eventually back to the Marine Corps base in Okinawa. The Marines wasted zero time in charging Garwood. On his flight from Bangkok to Okinawa, Marine Corps officials were on the plane to start his administrative reintegration, as well as a Marine Corps captain who informed Garwood he was facing charges against the Uniform Code of Military Justice and that he would be acting as his attorney. Garwood eventually made it back to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina to face court-martial. He was found not guilty of desertion and defection, but was found guilty on communicating with the enemy. Garwood tried a sort of appeal to say this was necessary for his survival, but the courts told him to fuck himself and reduce him to the rank of private as well as forfeiture of all back pay. For those who may not know, in the U.S. military, if you are captured by the enemy, you still continue to receive paychecks, and upon release, you are entitled to that money. Garwood was ordered to not receive his 13 years back pay and had a dishonorable discharge, which is like the equivalent of felony. Garwood's trial and time in the Marines ended in 1981. No one knew what happened to him until about 1993, when ABC News wanted to shoot a special on lost American POWs in Vietnam. And this this kind of gave Garwood an outlet. This kind of gave Garwood an outlet to really tell his side of the story because as he had mentioned that there were uh, left behind American POWs in Vietnam and he wanted to kind of like prove himself to try to save face. So ABC traveled with Garwood to Vietnam and followed the directions to a building that Garwood uh, perfectly described uh, when he was under trial to kind of reiterate that he was trying to help uh, left-behind American POWs. Garwood's directions led to the exact building he described, but it had been abandoned. This was the last public-facing appearance of Bob Garwood. He is still alive to this day, and his whereabouts are unknown. This all brings up the overarching question of this story. Did Garwood actually defect to the communist northern northern Vietnamese army or was it just a means for him to get by in a dire situation? I believe he put on the illusion to his captors that he was taking to their ideology taking to their ideologies and I think from the Viet Cong perspective they knew they could use Garwood as a prop for pushing their propaganda. Garwood was reasonably intelligent. I mean he was from Indiana and was able to pick up Vietnamese in a fairly quick time frame which kind of gives a little bit credence to you know kind of how smart he was. Someone asked why did he not leave when Americans were pulling out in 1973? I think Garwood was probably smart enough to know that he had seen several different... That he had, he had interacted 
with American POWs on several different occasions, and those American POWs had been released and probably understood that they immediately reported it during their debriefings. Garwood probably knew he had a chance to potentially stay in Vietnam and may have a chance at a mildly comfortable life, but after living under a totalitarian communist regime for six years, he realized that he should take the first chance he could to escape. This also alludes to if he should have faced charges and should he have received such a harsh discipline. I personally believe yes, he should have. The reason I would say he deserved it was because he was around other POWs and one and to one degree had a leg up on them and kind of knew what he was doing in order to have a more cushier life while under captivity while other American POWs suffered. So I kind of think like, yeah, he he deserved to have the book thrown at him. He also witnessed POWs being released back to American lines and I'm sure, sure Garwood could have attempted to negotiate with his captors, which I'll also kind of give him benefit of the doubt. Maybe he just kind of thought like, you know, I, I can just hang out here and like kind of be the patsy, kind of be like the stooge for the Northern Vietnamese and, you know, kind of shit on like my fellow Americans and I get to live like somewhat comfortably. Um, personally, I think Garwood was caught up in a crazy situation and did what he had to do to survive. But the fact that he was walking free for the past 30 something years and got disciplined by the Marines the way he did, I mean, he should, he should really consider himself lucky. So that is the story of Robert Bob Garwood. Oh, uh, there's also a made-for-TV movie that was uh, released from him back in the 90s where Ralph Macchio and Martin Sheen of Karate Kid and Apocalypse Now fame uh, start in. And it's on YouTube. Uh, look it up if you're interested to kind of kind of see more of the side of the story uh, from Garwood's perspective. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's Bob Garwood. Uh, thanks for listening. And, you know, I'll have the next episode out as soon as I possibly can. But thanks again, everyone.